In this episode, I had a conversation with Liam Maroney about the state of B2B, MarTech, and measuring marketing, among many other things. Liam is the co-founder of a demand gen agency called Storybook Marketing, and he brought some hot takes about B2B in this one, so let's dive right into it. I want to start out on your origin story a little bit, so if you wouldn't mind just talking through how you got your start in marketing and how that's evolved into where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. And my start was a little bit, I don't want to say I bluffed my way in, but to a certain extent, I probably did. I originally emigrated from Ireland, came to the US in 2008, and I was in the B2B world. That's always what my background has been, and went to college for marketing. But I always wanted to get into the startup space. It was always a space that just appealed to me. I love marketing. I love technology. It was the perfect hybrid. And at that time, it was really, it was the sector that everyone wanted to get into. And really how I got into it was there was a particular tech company that caught my eye. They had a job opening for relatively low level marketing manager. And I went in and I brought with me all of the work I had done in a completely unrelated industry. But I think the nice thing about certainly young tech companies that are up and coming is that they were much more likely to bring people in based on potential as opposed to track records. That may not be as true as it once was. But for me, I was lucky enough to say I have absolutely no track record in this industry, but I do know a little bit about marketing and maybe those can be applied into this world. And I was lucky enough that someone took a chance on me who is still a, a close friend of mine today. And now... What do you, what do you really focus on these days in your career? Like you've got your company, you've got all this stuff going on. What's the core focus for you? Sure. So I became specialized while I was at that first job in demand generation. It was at the time, a relatively new term. It didn't mean a whole lot. And there was a lot of new technology was coming up, supporting it. So I got trained in on that and that continued to be the expertise that I developed for the next about 12 years. So I've become somewhat of a functional expert in demand generation. And that has been where I have gone and put in place demand generation programs at various tech companies to the point that I began to see patterns. I met up with a very talented other demand generation marketer and the two of us then co-founded a demand generation agency. So I've gone full on into demand generation as a specialty. What is it about B2B as opposed to B2C that was appealing to you initially or has kept you in that realm more than B2C? So I think when I was in college, admittedly, and I think this is probably true for everyone who was in my course, B2C was like the fun one. It was the one that everyone wanted, at least in theory, because it was where you saw the advertising. It was the ones that you, whenever you think of like, what's great marketing, you think of B2C brands, generally speaking. You think of Apple, you think of Nike, you think of everyone who is creating emotional advertising Super Bowl commercials. And admittedly, B2B kind of got labeled like the ugly stepchild, where it was like, oh, it's not fun. It's a lot less creative. But there were parts of it that were really interesting. And once I got my start in B2B marketing, I actually found it to be a really rewarding type. Because I think the big difference between B2B and B2C, for the most part, is that the audience is much, much smaller and is much more known. In B2C, you're looking at these sort of large personas where it's like millions of people potentially, and they have to fit like a certain persona profile. But in B2B, certainly in tech, you almost know, and in cases have met a lot of the people that will buy the product, especially if you work in MarTech, which is just you selling to people you probably worked with at some point in time. It's a really tiny world, but it also, it forces you to do something that isn't as common in B2C, which is 
genuinely get to know your potential customers, not just who they are and what they're interested in, but what their day-to-day -day is like, what they're struggling with. And then you get to meet them at trade shows and you actually experience, like talk to them, hear them respond. So I think it, it forces you to think with hopefully a bit more empathy than I think you often see when you're running large sort of faceless advertising campaigns. B2B is a small world and the longer you spend in it, the smaller it feels. And it, it's a different type of marketing, but it's a very rewarding one. Are there any B2B companies, whether it could be MarTech companies or just other B2B companies that you have consistently come back to as a great example of, yes, I want to do what they do? So I think MarTech, it comes to mind often because a lot of them were tools that I've bought and used and I really, they resonate with me. But there's, like, I think from the things that make great B2B marketing is probably worth unpacking a little bit because there's exciting marketing, which is great. And if you're in marketing, those are wonderful. Like there are examples out there, like Gong is terrific at their marketing. They've got a unique point of view, their color scheme, their imagery, like it stands out and you remember it. Chili Piper is very similar. It's got a real fun angle to it. It's very human. But there's also great marketing that isn't as shiny and exciting, which is the one that I don't think gets talked about enough. Like at the end of the day, marketing doesn't have to be shiny and fun and whimsical. And I think it's a big mistake that a lot of B2B marketers make, or at least it's a thing that I've seen a lot of B2B marketers can feel like, well, my company's never going to do that. We don't sell software that's cool and quirky and we can't swear in our commercials. We sell HR tech or something like this. And that's totally valid. I think what makes great marketing is when it effectively communicates a message. And like I think of examples like this, like Monday.com and Notion, or even like the ones that they're selling what is a very commodity type thing. Oh, we sell project management tools, but you understand what it does. You clearly understand who it's for. And those are really difficult things to do in marketing. So I'm a big fan of the unsung clear messaging as opposed to big time square billboards. Yeah, with Notion, particularly interesting that they've built so much on the top of community. Can you have any other like companies that have done community in B2B quite like that? Not to the same extent that they've done. They've got, they've got what is, actually I was a Canva has done a really good job of this too. I think they, they've just tapped into this cult following where like people almost pride themselves on using the tool. Like that's such a powerful thing. That's really hard to do. When your audience becomes the communication vehicle for you and you don't have to control it, it just is doing the job for you. That's immensely powerful. Yeah, definitely. So you talked through a couple things that you like about B2B marketing, but for you specifically, any instances where you've actually gone through the process and decided to buy one of these MarTech tools, what are the things that kind of got you across the finish line that you have been able to swipe and say, I'm going to do that next time? I wrote a post about this actually, because it was one that really stuck out to me. And it was a tool called SparkToro. And it's an audience research tool. Ran Fishkin uh, was one of the co-founders. Amanda Natividad, who I'm great friends with, is the, the head of marketing there. And it was... It was one of those tools. The reason I really came to it was they weren't doing traditional B2B marketing. They weren't running ads. They weren't collecting leads. They weren't doing any content downloads. The reason I kept on seeing it was because Rand kept posting very useful videos 
of here's how you could use it. Let me show you. Oh, imagine you're a small shop and you want to launch a product. Let me show you how you could find audiences with this tool. And it was just, it was almost frustratingly simple where when you look back at how many B2B brands go to the extent of let's create a really shiny and expensive explainer video for our product. And he was like, I know, I'm going to do a split screen where I'm on one side, the product's in the other, and I'm going to show you. And it just worked. And he just kept on posting them. Now he had, of course, great reach, but what he was doing was really, I think, what a lot of B2B marketing is figuring out now, where it's a human selling to a human. It's what it always was at the end of the day. And he was compelling. He was likable. He was passionate. And all of that came through. And the way I actually ended up buying it was, I remember initially showed it to our head of social at a company that I was working for. I was like, hey, look, I saw this video from Rand. What do you think about this? And she's like, I love this. She went and did a free trial. She tried out the tool. She came back. She went like, this is great. Like, we have to get this tool. And what was funny was that the way that conversation took place was I watched a video of Rand. I copied the link to the video. I shot it in Slack to Jillian. Jillian went, watched the video. She went to the website and then she signed up. Then she came back to me and I gave her a credit card. And none of that would show up in the metrics. It was just so behind the scenes. It was all invisible tracking. Rand actually ended up writing a post about that journey because I'd written about it. But it, was, it really was an example of where it won me over because he was compelling, convincing, and authentic. Simple as that. Yeah, we overcomplicate a lot, don't we? With Especially in the B2B side of things. And unfortunately, a lot of these B2B companies don't even have a good enough product necessarily to be able to do something like that where they can highlight so many different... That, that was unique in that he could just take that tool for any type of use case, any industry, and really make it work, which is incredibly powerful. On the flip side of this, right now, as it currently stands in MarTech and in B2B, we've talked through some of the positive things, what's worked well, what's been interesting. What's the flip side of this? What are the biggest challenges right now in B2B and MarTech? At least for me, the biggest challenge right now is that a lot of the ways that we prove that marketing works has tried to become this big measurable science, which marketing is not. And it's actually having a very counterintuitive effect. What I mean by that is we've become obsessed with measuring impact. What's the ROI of marketing? How much did we generate from that? And you do have to do that. But the truth is that most marketing is about reaching your audience. It's about getting them to consume a message and then doing that again and again until that message lands. But when you try and overmeasure, what ends up happening is you try and every interaction you have with the audience you're trying to show value with it. So you end up doing very unnatural things that aren't in the interest of the audience, but are in the interests of your dashboard. So you try and put content behind a farm so you can capture their email address and then you can pull them in your database. And all of these things end up having the opposite effect of what you're trying to do, which is most marketing or all marketing is basically building brand awareness. Have you heard of us? Do you know what we do? Does it sound interesting? Can you understand how you would use it? And then ultimately, have we done a good enough job that the moment you do finally need this tool, will you go, you know who I need to go to? I need to go to that company. That doesn't happen when you gate content behind leads and pull people into email nurturing programs. That doesn't happen when you're trying to just get one shot deals where you hit them with a really big message. It's a constant effort. And the annoying truth is that's nearly impossible to measure. You can measure the outcomes of it, but you can't measure the inputs. And we've gone to such an extreme now where 
we have lead scoring, we have like multi-touch attribution, people are trying to stitch together this complicated journey. It's just not how people buy. And I think it's, but it hasn't gone away. And the reason it hasn't gone away is because boards need to see it. Leadership needs to see it. They need to have proof that marketing is doing its job or they won't give them more budget. But it's it's so in need of measurement now that it actually, it's creating unnatural marketing that doesn't work, but looks like it works in a dashboard so people can keep their job. And that's, it's just the worst sort of merry-go-round that we keep on staying on. Yeah, I'm in agreement here. I think attribution is one of those hot take places where you're either all in or mostly out on a lot of that stuff. So if you're looking back at whatever you would consider to be your best marketing engine, whatever the thing is that you built, you felt was the best performing thing. What were you measuring for that? There's probably two different versions I would give. I think the most measurable impact version was one where it was very much pipeline. It was the outcome that I was brought in to solve, but I think it was that it was, we came into a 20-year-old company. They were selling software that had been around for a long time, but they saw themselves as we've been in this space forever, but there was a lot of new up-and-comers who were deeply funded at the time and were starting to catch all the attention. They were like, how do we like claim back like the place that we feel that we had? And they had all the things on paper. They were a Gartner leader. They had tenure. The CEO of the company was on the board of the industry thing. Like they were, they had everything in place and yet they weren't showing the results of it. And a lot of what we did was just simply connecting the dots for people. It was like, we weren't trying to do it in a, okay, did we get their leads? It's like, no, who are we targeting? Let's put the ads in front of them. And then let's make sure that they see them, consume them. And then we get the sales team to follow up in coordination with that effort. And the coordinated effort turned out to be one of the most impactful things because I was very intentional and I was very lucky that we were, I was reporting into the CRO, which can be a negative, but in this case wasn't, where there was one pipeline number. At the end of the day, what mattered was pipeline went up and pipeline had flatlined. So all of our efforts were, how do we get those numbers up? And when we looked at where they were coming from, like they weren't coming from demo requests. They weren't coming from event leads. They were coming from salespeople who were managing to get people on the phone. When we supported that effort and our marketing was behind, their effort went up. Like it's logical. People will respond back to emails if they've heard of the brand that you're talking about. But because it was such a good and intentional effort to make sure that we weren't acting in competition to the sales team then it actually worked. And I've seen this happen on the other side. I've been that marketer where sales outbound was its channel, marketing source revenue was its channel, and like we were almost in competition with each other. And you end up not supporting them, even though that's at the detriment of the company. So like, like simple as it was, a coordinated effort with the sales team to just communicate the things that they were hearing and the objections they were experiencing in the sales process was the most impactful thing we could have done. Can you think of a time where you went through a similar thing where pipeline was down, you need, you need to drive more pipeline, but then it didn't immediately like turn around? Can you, maybe you could walk through oh, definitely. like some thoughts there and like what you do when it's panic time and things aren't turning around as you'd hoped. I've unfortunately been in exactly the situation. I, this was many years ago, but I was brought in where there was exactly the situation described. It had been going really well and I'd actually left the marketing team and then I came back in. And we did everything that on paper you would do as a demand gen person. We said, oh, I know, let's 
make the calls to action more compelling on the website. Maybe let's put pop-ups on there that'll capture them exit intent so that if they're on the contact us page, when they leave, they'll get an aggressive pop-up that says, hey, before you go, we incentivized demo requests to say, hey, we'll give you a hundred bucks and come take a demo instead. Like we did all of the things that looked like they should work. And they did initially look like they worked. Suddenly demos did spike up because of course they did. We were paying for them but they never materialized into anything. And it's, it was one of those reminders that had, like, from my point of view, I looked like I had done my job and I could have been that marketer who went, well, I gave you a demo request. Like if you couldn't close it, that's not sales. But what I gave them wasn't someone who wanted a demo. It's someone who wanted a hundred bucks and they were willing to put up with 30 minutes of time in order to do it. So it, it, it was a good idea, badly executed because it ignored the reason why Pipeline was down in the first place, which was people either weren't sure what we did, weren't convinced of what we did, they weren't aware that we were doing anything at all. And it's, it was a big reminder that if someone brings marketing in, particularly Demandgen, and says, hey, we need to turn this place around in a quarter, no, it, marketing doesn't work like that. Marketing doesn't happen that quickly, but it can look like it did. And this is this whole sort of demand capture thing that has come about in the last couple of years where you can come in and run a bunch of demo request ads and scoop up a lot of demos. They might've been people who were already coming in the door anyway. Like you might just look like you managed to look at all the stuff I did. And I was like, did you just pay for what they were going to do organically? Like, is that all you did? But there's no way of proving that. And so just marketing's a long-term effort. And if you're not doing things for the long-term, nothing in the short-term will work. And if it does, it won't work for long. I want to double click on this gift card thing because this is on LinkedIn, especially you see this like crazy. My, my DMs on LinkedIn, it's just like, hey, 50 bucks to Amazon, take a demo. I'm always a hard no on that stuff, but I am curious how you would actually make that work to get customers that actually do care, but they also still get the benefit of that gift card. So it, it can work and it has worked on me. I will admit, I actually did take a demo that was like, all right, I'm willing to see. But I think what the really important thing to remember is the context of which you're entering that demo. Like there's one hand where maybe you're in a very competitive space when people see it, it's so compelling in the demo that they're willing to do it. Like if you believe that to be true, then there is a case. Most marketing is buying people's attention. This is just the most extreme version of it. But if your demo isn't really compelling, then like you're not really doing a great job of it. I think the other side of it is that sometimes, like metadata is a good example of someone who advocates very strongly that you can do this in a paid way. They've written blog posts on how you do it in an effective way, but it requires the same problem that all marketing does, which is, have I heard of metadata before? And is this a nudge that will make me go, all right, you know what? I'm willing to hear them out. So you're still coming in with some pre-existing impact of their other marketing. If the only way you're getting them into the demo is through an incentive and you don't have a really strong demo at the other side of it, it's just, it's padded and you're just, you're boosting up demo requests for the sake of it. And I've seen some insane ones. I had markers, I talked to someone who I used to work with and he told me that they were giving away like a barbecue grill one time like a $600 grill. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, of course you'll get demo requests. If that's all you've been going on, of course you will. But it has to be tightly qualified and it has to be 
There, like, there has to be a reason. All marketing comes back to, why should this work? If it's Hail Mary pass, I get it. We've all been there. But if that's your justification for an incentive, it's probably not going to work. Yeah, totally. Going back to a point you made earlier, you talked about how most of marketing is really just, it does boil down to brand. And if people have heard of you, if they have positive feelings about you in the moment that they finally can make a decision, when you're balancing that with demand gen and short-term revenue goals, how do you balance the short-term goals versus the long-term brand building? It's a great question. It's definitely the hardest part. And I don't want to give an it depends answer, but it does depend on where your company is. Like, I would say this to everyone who's trying to do demand gen. Don't try and long, run long-term strategies if your short-term metrics are way behind. It's just not going to work. It's easy to say, don't neglect long-term marketing. That's very easy to say if you're like 50% of the way to the goal and you've got like two weeks left. Like that, it just doesn't work that way. We've all been in that situation. I think the, like it depends on where Pipeline comes from right now and how can you support those efforts. And you see this play out in reality a lot, actually. Like look at what's happening in the last couple of months. As soon as the economy got really bad and people stopped buying, companies pointed their marketing teams towards customers anyway. Because they're like, we need to keep the revenue we have. We need to try and upsell it best we can. If you're already taking that mindset, you're actually ahead of the curve and you're protecting yourself from it happening. So like one way that we've typically looked at how demand gen programs work, and it's how we actually work with customers now, is we talk about these things called on-ramps and off-ramps. And it's a really simple way of thinking about demand gen, which is on-ramps are how you reach your audience. They're the channels that you're engaging with them in. That's where you should be putting your content. It's how your customers learn about you. Off-ramps is how they actually enter into a sales conversation. And that varies from company to company. What you might find, especially at early stage companies, is that doesn't happen in demo requests. That might be happening in sales outbound efforts. That might be happening in partner things. It might be happening at events. That's where you support in the short term, because that's where pipeline is already coming from. So you can impact that by making it happen better, easier, quicker. That's much easier. It's much easier to help the sales team do better with their outbound than it is to go, I'm going to start generating demo requests. That takes months to years, depending on where you are. So it's ultimately like, don't neglect, like get get your near-term metrics in order as best you can, just so that there's at least, you've got the permission to do longer stuff. But the truth is that long-term marketing is usually a leadership decision. Leadership needs to support it. They need to understand it. They need to invest in it because it's a hard sell for a marketer to try and convince a CEO who doesn't understand or care about brand to care about brand. I've tried. You can succeed. You should try, but it's tough. I think we've all been there to some extent. My, my last question for you here is more generally around B2B marketing. If you were giving advice to a B2B marketer, what qualities would you tell them to really try to develop? In other words, what are the qualities that make a B2B marketer great? I think there's a really missing quality in B2B marketing that if you have, you, you're ahead of everyone else, which is, I, there's two actually. One is understand marketing. It, this is not in a mean way, but a lot of B2B marketing don't understand marketing, at least the actual fundamentals of it. So like understand what brand awareness means, like read books of people who have done it before, all things like Ogilvy on advertising, all of the old school marketing, it still applies. The reason an ad worked in the 50s, the psychology of it still applies to a banner ad in 2023. Like it's not any different. People buy for the same reasons. 
And the other side of it is practice writing. Get good at writing. That is an immensely missing skill. Copywriting is probably the weakest skill in B2B marketing from what I've seen that B2C has. Most copy in B2B is terrible. It's jargon-filled. It uses words like maximize your revenue with our all-in-one platform. It means nothing. It means nothing to anybody. If you can learn to write like a person in a convincing way, all of your marketing gets better just by default.